From the forests and heaths of West Suffolk to the pastoral calm of the Dedham Vale, Suffolk is a county which revels in its beauty, but also in its humility. And yet it's full of successful businesses, purposeful charities, and fascinating people. The conversations that we are holding are with the people in Suffolk who work on the three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it away. So we're talking with the entrepreneurs and the business leaders where we spend our money. We're talking to the independent financial advisors and money experts who help us when we have financial issues. And we're talking to the charities and the community groups who are making a difference within our county. When I was a boy, uh, coffee was something that was produced from a jar. Uh, but in the last few years, this country has seen a huge increase in the provision of real coffee by people who really care about where it comes from, about how it's roasted and how it's served. And one of these people within Suffolk is my next guest, Azuz El Marawi. Uh, and Azuz came to the UK to study um, once upon a time, but now runs one of Suffolk's most well-known coffee brands. Azuz, it's a real pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for giving us some of your time. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. Well, uh, thank you for inviting me to talk to you. And, uh, and thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, Yes, Coffee Link has really grown to um, uh, a good size at the moment, but it has been so um, exciting and challenging, as you can imagine, with uh, every business. And uh, we have uh, around 70 colleagues at the moment. Um, that has reduced because of the lockdown. And mm -hmm. we also have, obviously, 17 retail units. Some of them are kiosks, some of them are bigger uh, than others. Um, and, a, and, a, and a roastery and uh, we've lost uh, four units since the lockdowns or since the pandemic uh, but we are also looking to open two new ones um, right so yeah so coffee link has been a very exciting journey uh, both for uh, rebecca and myself um, we um, are really grateful to our customers uh, in ipswich especially because that's where Coffee Link was sort of born, really. It was conceived in a way in London when I met Rebecca. And yeah, which we, we, we was... Rebecca is a Felix thing to so Yeah, so it, it just made more sense to um, uh, to move back to Suffolk when we started talking about family. And, and Yeah. So just just pinning down that, those 17 venues, locations that you have at the moment, where are they just in Suffolk? Are they further afield? What, what geographical area are they covering? Um, they are both in Suffolk, um, Essex and Norfolk, really. Um, so we've got two with uh, East of England Co-op um, in Leyston and Clacton, and uh, there are concessions within uh, uh, East of England Co-op premises. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have um, a good number of units, 11 of them, in, um, on the Greater Anglia uh, network um, leading to London. Mm -hmm. And we also have two with the Transport for London, uh, Ilford and uh, uh, Good Mayors. Uh, and we have um, neighbourhood stores, what we call neighbourhood stores like uh, uh, Ipswich Marina and um, Woodbridge Marina. 
um, Ipswich is really close to my heart because that's where I, I think I mentioned it to you on Monday, yeah. I stood in the unit and there was nothing but concrete walls and I thought, oh my God, where do I need, where do I get all the contracts? So that's, that's sort of almost next door to the university, isn't it? It's just along that little bit of the waterfront there. That is right. In fact, the university was another big element for us to open there. Before the university opened, it was Suffolk College. And in fact, where the university is at the moment used to be just a car parking space. Mm. Uh, for students and uh, university staff, um, but we've, we've, um, as it happens now, really, uh, not all our customers are from the university. It's probably ten to twenty percent, um, but we also serve uh, locals, uh, visitors, um, boat owners, uh, but of course, obviously, students and, and uh, university staff. Um, it's a lovely unit. It's, it serves uh, really uh, well. It's, it's uh, uh, the community we operate in. And, and as I said to you earlier, I am really grateful to uh, Ipswich uh, customers and friends, especially because they've enabled us to really look further afield, they enabled us to um, uh, have enough income to, to start looking for new opportunities and grow with it. So was that your first premises? Was that your first retail it was our first retail. In fact, um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. We were looking at a few, but uh, Ipswich Marina uh, won the, 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 the race. We, we were going to Ipswich Town Centre in the bottom market, yeah. and um, without us knowing, Starbucks managed to buy the what used to be the luggage. Uh, yeah, yeah, just on the way in. Yeah. Part of their clause with the shopping uh, centre was um, no other coffee usage or no other coffee retail outlets. So our lease was thrown and, uh, and then obviously we had to look at the marina. And we are really probably lucky and blessed that we managed to find the unit at the marina because it was yeah. a brilliant unit and we love it. Yeah, well, I can imagine on summer days and, well, even it, I, I've bolted there several times myself in the winter when it's wet. It's a great place to go. But on summer days, it must be superb just to, you know, be able to wander out and pick yeah. up your coffee and sit on the marina. It is. It's really nice. It's got amazing frontage with lovely views over the marina. And it's a unique location, really. Somehow we're going to start this story. So, first of all, you came to the UK to study, I believe. That is correct. I mean, my, my story began obviously in Morocco and um, at um, university um, 1991, 1992. Things were not really very promising in Morocco. Things are much better now. Uh, but I just was so disillusioned. And I was thinking, well, actually, I'm not going to um, enjoy uh, starting a job now. And my prospects of finding a good job were quite slim. So I thought um, I applied to actually pick fruit in Titri and some uh, in, in a farm that makes jam. It wasn't very popular and big as it is now. So wherever you go, any of supermarket you go now, you find uh, Wilkin and Son uh, uh, jams uh, in all their varieties. And, and, and uh, so my first job ever was picking strawberries in uh, uh, Titri, and I loved it. I, I really did. So I. Um, uh, I just uh, registered, obviously, to study um, hotel and catering and institutional management at uh, Westminster College in London. Um, so, and, and the rest, in a way, is a history because um, I was recruited by Pizza Hut uh, while I was at college as a train manager. And um, I was always really after working uh, in, in, in a coffee environment. And at that time, coffee was just starting to become really popular as a beverage to have outside other than going to a pub, for example. 
Um, and the company I joined was called Seattle Coffee Company that was eventually bought by Starbucks Coffee Company. Uh, and that was how Starbucks came into the UK. So they sort of inherited me with the furniture. <laughs> so we went through the, um, the, the conversion of the stores from Seattle Coffee Company to Starbucks Coffee Company. And I learned so much. And I, my love for coffee and uh, retail and hospitality grew because it was an introduction of the American style of doing things and um, their passion and their, their, their high sense of achievement. And I thought, wow, this is so infectious. I loved it. And I think the best thing that happened to Costa that I worked for later on after Starbucks was uh, Starbucks coming to the UK because Costa Coffee then was uh, a smoking environment. You could have a cigarette, for example, which was not very pleasant in my views to, to, to work in. And, um, and the, it was very relaxed a way of doing things. So the panini would be burning in the back and the barista would be having a cigarette with the customer. <laughs> And <laughs> it doesn't sound very appealing. It was quite a, a relaxed way of doing coffee. So Starbucks come, comes in and um, Costa suddenly became more competitive. They've refurbished the stores. And, and I was really approached to join Costa. And I did. Um, obviously, I was looking to improve my income. And I, uh, it, it was great. And I enjoyed actually working for Costa better than I did with Starbucks because they are much more... Um, uh, employee focused, much more trusting uh, to, to managers. And I really got more involved with budgets, with costings, with, and again, it was another layer of, of learning for me. And I thought, wow, this is, this is brilliant. So I, I managed to achieve good results with them. Uh, the stores I ran were most mainly uh, uh, good performing stores. And I used to go to stores that need some work and I would work on them and, and get them better. And obviously, um, I uh, got maybe a little bit bored and I decided to go to uh, um, property management in London. And it wasn't a great experience. And that was my last job in London, um, a job that I had to commute to. And obviously, needless to say, that it wasn't very enjoyable to commute to, to, to London. And uh, so when I thought, oh, I'll never go back to work in Costa, I moved to Suffolk and I thought, oh, you know what, actually, I really need a job closer to to, um, uh, to Ipswich. And by that time, I knew that I didn't really enjoy um, uh, property management and so on. Um, and uh, the last job I had was with Costa. So they offered me a job to manage their uh, Costa store in Princess Street in Ipswich. Um, and I told my line manager, look, this is my dream to start my own coffee shop. And um, obviously, I was grateful they offered me the job uh, and, and so on. But uh, I was lucky in a way that he said to me, look, stay on board until you're ready to, to, to go. And, and I did just that. I, I stayed working until we opened mm -hmm. the Marina unit. So I remember one day the bank manager walked in just by me serving coffee at a cost. And he said, Azusa, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> so I had to explain to him that, you know, yes, I got the mortgage for the property that we roast coffee in, uh, but it was work in progress. Uh, and I'm glad to say that I still bank with them. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is the guy who's going to support you or the bank manager, the person who is going to support you in the new business. And he walks in to see you in your, you know, serving coffee um, in another business. <laughs> what was going on? Yeah, exactly. It was quite um, awkward, really, to say the least, because I thought, oh, you know, I, I have to explain now what's going on. Otherwise, we may think that. Um, <laughs> so where, where, when did you meet Rebecca in all of this, in this story? At what point did the two of you meet and decide coffee was the way that you were? 
Yeah, Rebecca, both Rebecca and I lived in a way for about 12 years in London, but not together. So we met in the last two years before we moved to Suffolk. Um, so obviously Rebecca is a qualified nurse, so she works for uh, different hospitals in London. And after that, she works as a, a, a pharmaceutical uh, sales rep, uh, territory manager for a big pharmaceutical company. So we met um, in a coffee shop, really. So <laughs> <laughs> it was in a coffee shop. It's destined to be, wasn't it? That's, exactly. So coffee um, is obviously what brings you together. Exactly. So it was a, a, a good friendship that developed to uh, romance, but uh, there was a good, uh, solid attraction right from the, the word go, I, I guess. And, um, and we, we've got three lovely children and we, uh, we, we enjoy our journey with all its ups and downs. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously, the two of you must have had to buy in, you know, in terms of focused on this whole experience of giving up employment and putting your resources, borrowing money, whatever it took to start off this new business. That must be quite a leap. It, it was. It was actually because um, when I gave up my uh, cost of coffee job, Rebecca was still at work, uh, was still working. Um, so we had uh, to adapt to, to um, one income rather than two. We also had our first daughter uh, born in uh, 2005. So it was quite um, a challenging time, really. So we've, we've really lived through those, those uh, challenging times, but we've managed to get through them. And we were lucky, as I said, to thank our, our customers really supported us and because they had to go to so many other uh, retail units and coffee shops. But I remember um, some customers will walk through all uh, coffee shops and come to us. We were the last one. I don't know if you remember uh, uh, the Neptune Marina building was the last uh, probably uh, bit that you can yeah. kind of service from. And then obviously now we, we, we're really lucky that there's a good level of development that has gone into the marina. But it wasn't always like this. There was a lot of antisocial behavior. There was, it was quite challenging at the beginning. But I'm glad to say that all those days are behind us. So the interesting thing with coffee, of course, is that from a retail perspective, what we see is either our espresso, our cappuccino, however we want to drink our coffee. But what I find fascinating about you is, that's the tip of the iceberg in a way, is everything that's happened before we walk up and order our latte. Absolutely. That, that actually has a massive impact on your business. And let's just take this right the way back to, for, for people who, and, and I'm included, who don't really get what coffee is, where does it grow? What happens to it? How does it end up in, you know, ground up and, and in our mug? Yeah, I mean, it is a long story and you're absolutely right. I think it's, coffee is one of those products that's still very underrated because it's, um, it means so much for so many people. And um, it's so misunderstood because it's one of those very few products that get touched by so many people and touches so many people's lives purely because the stages, the, the, the processes, the methods of processing and, and harvesting and grading and selecting is so extensive that it's really, really uh, difficult to do it justice and uh, so quickly because, you know, you have to have the right shrub, you have to have the right mindset as a farmer, you have to really choose whether to use pesticides and herbicides, you, or do you want to go organic 
you have to decide whether you want to be part of Rainforest Alliance. You have to decide whether you want to join the Fair, Tra Fair, uh, Fair Trade Foundation, for example, whether you want to go forest growing coffee. And, and then you start looking at the quality of those shrubs and, and, and also decide whether you want to wash the beans or just dry them. And then obviously you have to find the customer and then shipping the green coffee to the customer and getting the right price. So I think on Monday, we, we briefly touched about, upon looking. When I was in Ethiopia two years ago, I could see um, some of the, the deprivation and the impact of our buying habits on farmers by looking sometimes at the way children dress or even farmers dress. And you can tell so much just by looking at people and how they've managed to cope with, 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 with civil wars, with uh, drought, with so many impactful events that changes their, their, their patterns of, of production. So yes, coffee is, I mean, the bigger companies tend to really keep, uh, keep the, produ uh, the product uh, mystified and keep a mystery around there and, and by packaging everything. But there is so much more to it. Just like you hear stories about milk producers in, in say Suffolk who struggle by having a big company saying to them, oh, we'll buy all your products, but we'll pay you this much. Coffee is absolutely the same. You have big multinationals with huge amounts of cash to go in and say to farmers, we'll, get, we'll buy all your harvest, but this is the price we'll pay you. Now, obviously, if you are a farmer, you want to sell your products and your produce, but it, it's such an extreme way of looking at it when you're talking about a third world country with a lack of basic things that we take for granted, like education, like healthcare, like uh, there are so many things. And then you, you can't expect of a farmer who's so poor to worry about the environment. So it's so important to really rethink our uh, buying habits. And we're really lucky in the UK because people are, by and large, very conscientious buyers. They, they, will, they will want to spend their pounds in a good way, in a, in, in, in a meaningful way. Uh, and, and personally, I think when I talk to coffee farmers, I only focus on the quality of the cherries. And I say, we want your ripest cherry. And then we talk about the price uh, second. Um, and we always pay above uh, 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 fair trade prices and above market prices because we want to be the chosen uh, buyer. We want to um, uh, we want the farmer to really focus on, 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 on the good quality cherries because we can't say to them, "Oh, we give us your best cherries, but we give you a pound a kilo for for green beans." You know, so it, it is challenging. So there is a long story of events that uh, brings coffee into a cup, and then obviously there is a roasting, and then uh, yeah. uh, we decide to roast and. Um, a coffee and in, in a certain profile, whether it's dark or medium or light, because um, I think again uh, another example would be either wine or, or apples. And you go to supermarkets and you find twenty plus varieties in, in large supermarkets of apples. They are all apples. They are all lovely, but they are all different in taste. Some will be sweeter, some will be sharper. I mean, Rebecca introduced me to Pink Lady, which is a lovely apple. My son who's nine loves Granny Smith, you know. So it's 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 a different uh, 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 um, uh, different same product will have different tastes. So for example, Ethiopian coffee will be floral and a little bit acidic in comparison to a Colombian, but it would be far more flavorsome than a chocolatey, nutty Colombian coffee. Um, but most people will look at coffee and think it's the same product. But again, there are so many layers that you can actually. Uh, 
Yeah, so of course, one of the other things you talked to me about is not just about where it's grown, and obviously it must be, I'm assuming, the climate and the soil that has an impact then on the on the flavour, but then the roasting, but then even the grinding and the the, the nature of the is it the ground? Is that how you pronounce uh, how it how it comes out of a, that well, that has an impact as well? Exactly, and and um, sometimes you go to a supermarket and you find a bag of coffee and it says suitable for all coffee makers. Well, it can't be true because obviously a cafetiere will need a grind that is coarse. A filter machine will need a grind that is a little bit finer. An aeropress, again, a little bit more uh, uh, fine in comparison. So there are a variety of, of products. And I think, as you mentioned right at the beginning, there's a growth at the moment in uh, uh, the variety of options with how we drink coffee and how we enjoy coffee. With the pandemic, I think people have taken the experience home. They want to elaborate on how to drink coffee. They want to experiment. And I think this is where we come in. We love sharing our coffees with our customers. We look and, and, and hunt for new products, new coffees. And we take all those elements I mentioned to you in, 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 in the decision process. For example, uh, because what is the best coffee after all? There is no such thing because the best coffee for you may not be the best coffee for me and vice versa, and because our customers' palates are all different. We're all on a different journey in appreciating coffee. So when, we, when people say this is the best coffee, it's really um, very subjective. So what we focus on is um, telling customers that this coffee comes from this farm, and this coffee has been looked after this way, and this coffee is certified, but this one isn't. And this coffee is forest. For example, I'm, I'm, I made myself a coffee of our forest coffee this morning, and I loved it. And uh, I've, I've done it uh, in, in a dripper, uh, very simple gadgets, you know, that cost less than ten pounds. And uh, it's an amazing experience because it gives you a different drink rather than uh, going uh, for an espresso or 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 an Americano or a, or a cappuccino. So it's just a way of exploring and diversifying the way we appreciate coffee. Because as I said to you, I'm obviously really passionate about coffee. And I think yeah. we, we, we pass the stage, we just want, yes, of course we want to grow as a business, but we want to really have a, an impact because we value our customers. And I know our customers choose us, not just because they want a good coffee or a cheaper coffee or a, a better coffee because we can see the ethics of the, of the company, the values of our culture. And we genuinely want to really add value to what we do and, and look after the farmers. Not every farmer we deal with because we choose sometimes not to buy from certain farms because they, not, they don't have the right work practices. We went to a farm and I saw ladies uh, on the floor, crouching on the floor, and, and you could tell that the culture within the farm is not right. And you could you could tell that the the way they're doing things is not really how we want to encourage farmers. And then you go to another place and you find well there are extra rooms for uh, families to bring their kids to be looked after mm -hmm. while they are working. Because coffee is quite a seasonal uh, uh, job, and um, I can relate to it because I come from a sort of agricultural uh, background. We have olive groves and almond groves, and I know how all the family has to get involved to, to harvest because you sometimes don't want to pay too much on labor and, and you just want everyone to, to chip in. So it can be delicate. So we don't really want to tell farms how to run their farms. You can pick on certain habits. You can pick on certain things that we do. 
whether it's the right culture or not. But we, we never tell our farmers, oh, you must have this kind of, 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 of structure, otherwise mm. we'll buy from you. Because we don't know the dynamics, the cultural dynamics of the farmers. We don't know uh, how best to address them. But we do try and show them because some farmers don't have the right um, level of knowledge to um, um, uh, or appreciate what customers here look for. So the world is becoming smaller. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, and, and I think it's it's good to share those 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 traits. So in some ways, you're educating in a careful way um, the people who you are buying coffee from. How, how do you go about educating your customers? Because there may be a perception that actually. You know this thing that we were saying earlier. All coffee's the same. It's you know as long as I get it in a mug and I get steamed milk on top of it, you know, yeah, what's it, the difference? It, yeah, it it can get tricky because I was told once all I need is a coffee, not a lecture. So I, I was I'm, <laughs> I I'm careful because I mean the, the gentleman I I served did apologize a few days a few days later, but obviously needless to say that we we didn't warm up to each other after the. Uh, after, <laughs> But uh, the point I was trying to make is that um, it's a fine line, really. So if someone mm. asks for advice, we, we, we have all the time to, to, to show it. Uh, and we do that always, every day, when customers call us and say, well, we've got this machine, what coffee would you recommend? Or what grind should I use? Or, and so on and so forth. But um, and sometimes we learn from our customers because, as I said, the market is so huge now in terms of gadgets. And sometimes customers will ask me about certain gadgets and I have to research it and, and find out. And I remember the reason I shared that story with you is I was serving behind the bar and customers will come in and say, can I have a coffee? And when I was with Costa, we had a menu, obviously, and we said, yeah. what would you like? Would you like a latte, cappuccino? And that's the kind of educating we did at the time. But obviously now, when customers go into a coffee shop, they already know what they want. So, and, and they really want what they want because they, they, whether it's a caramel latte or a flat white, they tell you. Now, 15, 20 years ago, we had to say, oh, well, you want a coffee, but which one would you like? Yeah. Then obviously when you elaborate, you can get too enthusiastic and the customer says, well, actually, I just want a coffee, please. You know, they haven't done <laughs> really the lecture. So that's the yeah. thing that happened to me. But thankfully now customers know what they want. Um, and, but obviously uh, 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 the coffee experience has changed somewhat because uh, customers now, they want to know more about the coffee. Where did this coffee come from? because they are more aware of the abuses mm. in the market. So they want to know that the coffee has been paid for properly. They want to know that the uh, environment hasn't been damaged. And I think that's another growth area at the moment, because I think the uh, next growth area would be in environmental coffee, coffee that grows in forest environments, because you can't call it a forest coffee if it's not grown in a forest. And by the coffee growing in the forest, it's preserving the forest. And yeah. that's really important. And you get so many other... Uh, benefits like biodiversity benefits you know, you'll get rocks, birds you know you'll get less pesticides and herbicides you'll get better tasting coffees by uh, having all those interactions with that we can't really understand fully because uh, they will have different minerals different uh, uh, sugar contents there will be so much more to that coffee just by being a forest coffee so there's specific parts of the world that are specializing in forest coffee or where would you buy yours from at the moment uh, I, I'm, I'm real, I am very biased towards Ethiopian coffees purely because what I have seen was um, uh, really um, quite impressive because 
we went to so many farms and all of them were in forested environments. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, if you go to, for example, if you Google uh, uh, Brazil coffee farms, you will find a, a vineyard style of coffee farms, similar to what you and I would associate with a, with a vineyard. Uh, so it's planted and it's irrigated, there's an irrigation system. And it's great, obviously, but you won't get the same taste in the cup if you were to compare it to an Ethiopian coffee that's grown in high altitude in a forest environment with very little interference from the farmer. And sometimes the interference or lack of it comes because of lack of knowledge, lack of means. And that's actually quite good if you really want to get to, you think, well, the less interference, the better, because then only the uh, disease-resistant, hardier shrubs will survive. And you will know if there is an imbalance and then you can address it if there is a rust disease and so on. One of the most interesting things I really must share with you is um, Gary Battelle, who was with us, who is a, um, a Suffolk County forestry advisor, uh, and he's been working with them for decades, and he's got amazing experience of our forest. And um, when he introduced Zege Forest to me in Ipswich Market, when I was standing by our vintage red van, and he approached me and he said, oh, I heard that you roast coffee. Is that true? And I said, yeah, yeah, we do. He said, well, I've got some green coffee. And it was about a kilo and a kilo and a half, and uh, I nearly burnt it. But we, we tried and I thought, oh, this is really nice. And so he went to Ethiopia with us uh, two years ago. And it was an amazing experience because I could see his passion for trees and forests. And it was another dimension to, to of learning again because I thought, wow, my father was like that because my father was a forestry person. I was born in a small village surrounded by a forest. And my father's job was to really uh, cut a sort of dirt, dirt road in the middle of the forest. So if one side catches fire, it doesn't go to the other side. So that was their, their prevention or fire prevention, so to speak. So Gary's impact in what we do in Ethiopia is brilliant because he's really opened my eyes to the environmental impact of what we do. And um, I mentioned briefly that we were ambushed in, in Ethiopia after a visit to a farm. And that was, again, uh, another experience that I, I, I remember asking Gary as uh, we held our hands up, Gary, what do you think is going on? And I remember him saying to me, Stay calm, as you just stay calm. And I remember, I remember feeling really actually more reassured. <laughs> the lengths you go to to check out coffee. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it was really quite an, uh, uh, an amazing experience. I mean, we were blessed to get away with it because, um, uh, as I said, it was very scary to say the least. Uh, I remember the farmer said um, something, oh, let me take you out of the village. Uh, and we said, no, we're fine. You know, we didn't really think much of it. Everything was fine. We were still in paradise, so to speak. Um, and the scenery was amazing. Uh, 2,400 meters, meters above sea level, beautiful elevation. Um, and uh, as we drove out of the village, um, we went from, as I said, sort of paradise into hell, really, because the screeching no noise of the brakes and suddenly everyone stopped translating and we were ordered to leave uh, the, the, the vehicle. Um, so there was the driver, Gary Battelle in the front. I was sitting behind Gary Battelle and Michael and Eden next to me, the Ethiopian um, uh, um, coffee exporters and buyers that we deal with. They left on the uh, left-hand side, we left on the right-hand side and we, we were just ordered to just order to what get out of the car that, yeah, essentially yeah, exactly. yeah it was everything stopped literally and and uh, time froze for, for a few seconds and the rush of thought in our minds uh, i certainly felt that um it was 
it's, it's, uh, none of us really predicted it to be honest with you so uh, we just complied and kept saying okay okay and I uh, asked Gary again uh, is everything what do you think is going on what's what's happening and he calmly said stay calm and just stay calm and he I could remember clearly him Gary removing his earpiece of his iPod and uh, putting it on his seat um, and um, by the time the, the guy uh, pointing the gun at us realized that we are complying he lowered his gun just to discharge it a few centimeters away from his foot and that really brought it home to me i thought well this is it we, we're going to die today this is it um and uh, within seconds uh, obviously the guys who were in charge on the left hand side who were uh, you know interacting with uh, our ethiopian friends um just they switched suddenly there was a, a young lady young girl um holding us up again and i kept saying the same thing to her okay 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 so it, it was really scary and um uh, then um obviously the guys on the left hand side didn't like the gun discharging because the army was not too far away so right wanting any interaction but he wanted to know uh, uh did we call the army do we work with the government so those are the two main things they wanted to establish they were not after money or Taking, they did take our funds for a little while to uh, check them over. But um, other than that, uh, it was just a matter of uh, complying and getting to know what you want. And then suddenly, obviously, the farmer uh, who offered to take us out of the village, because remember, the, his farm is, so to speak, in the, in the forest. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's quite a very, very rural um, environment. Uh, so he showed us behind us. He knew what was going on. He stopped the car in the distance, walked for a bit, one of those... Uh, uh, um, uh, rebels uh, um, uh, walked to him, they went into a bush, had a chat, literally, came out and then uh, literally someone said, I think we're going to be okay. So um, we got back in the car and I was thinking we we're going to drive off and everything would be fine. He said, no, 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 we have to turn around and go back to the uh, village to meet the uh, rebel leaders. And then probably that must have been the longest um, period to contemplate and think uh, about things and even consider running, <laughs> making a run for it. You know? mm -hmm. And then you immediately instinctively say to yourself, don't be silly, there's nowhere to run. <laughs> yeah, where would you go to? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a huge, it's a huge um, forest. Wow. And, uh, even if you get away from uh, the, the, the rebel leaders, you know, you, you, your wildlife will get you. Um, so that must have been uh, really quite a long five minutes, uh, uh, maybe not even five minutes, but it felt uh, like a long period of time driving. We must have been doing five to ten miles an hour, totally silent vehicle. Then we got to the village, sort of green really, it was just on the side of the road. And suddenly there was a throng of people and I thought, wow, where did they come from? They were not here earlier. Right. And, and uh, so they were observing us, obviously. And... Uh, so um, the, the, the farmer then, uh, who was ahead, um, went and greeted the uh, rebel leaders, spoke to them and, and, and uh, took a few minutes and then came to the vehicle. And Gary and I remember sheepishly putting the window down. And then they just shook our hands and apologized and said, you know, I'm sorry, you can go. But I, 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 um, we didn't really think um, much of it in terms of its significance but when i came back and even recently i started realizing my god you know we, we were really lucky and blessed to be yeah. with it because um and the more i learned uh, subsequently about the area and, and the 
the, 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 the local dynamics of uh, um, the, the strives, the challenges, the economy, the politics of it, the more I thought, wow, that could have gone seriously wrong. Um, because mm. had that gun been discharged uh, a few seconds earlier, it would have got me. And if it had got me, none of us would have left because they wouldn't let anyone go. Um, mm. So we, we were lucky. And um, it just made me really, um, A, appreciate the, how lucky we are and uh, to, to have gotten away with it. And B, to realize that those farmers really genuinely need our support. Mm. They don't need handouts or, or donations. They just need to be traded with. You know, the, we've got amazing products. And um, an Ethiopian coffee is well-renowned, really, for its characters and characteristics. And, and it's mainly grown, as I said, in forested environments. So you get an amazing uh, uh, level of uh, minerals and, and, uh, uh, and flavors that you wouldn't necessarily get from other origins, like, say, Colombia and um, Brazil. I mean, there are obviously great coffees in their own right, but they're just different. So um, Colombian coffee would be a little bit more chocolatey and nutty. Um, Ethiopian coffee would be much more earthy and, and, and citrusy and bold. And But what, what struck me in Ethiopia is the variety of, of, um, of coffees available. Some of them are mm-hmm. undocumented, and, <laughs> and they literally grow in forested environments. So I mean, the trip was exciting, uh, scary, uh, and, uh, and and it was really um, one of those uh, trips that you you know will be uh, memorable for a long time. Uh, but you also really, I mean, Gary being with us as well um, helped uh, cement that that um, uh, journey that we started well beyond before um, we actually um, well, we started it when we started doing coffee. You know, learning about coffee 10, 15 years ago buying certain coffees against others. Um, but with um, Gary highlighting the environment and the impact of our actions of our buying habits, it just made it really much more interesting from, from that side. Um, mm-hmm. The more I think about it, the more I thought, wow, it's, it's brilliant that we've gone. Um, we've taken away so much from the experience. And um, coffee uh, and its variety is much more uh, uh, available now because of those small steps that we, we've taken. And uh, we, we have such a really good set of a variety of Ethiopian coffees, probably more than the average co- coffee roast mm. in the UK. Amazing. That's, it's just such an incredible story, but most importantly that you, you escaped unharmed and, uh, you. and you shook hands with those who we did. Um, stopped you. <laughs> we did. I mean, built bridges. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, shaking hands, as I said, it was just like... Um, uh, another experience that you think you wouldn't do, but you just when you're under threat, when your life is under threat, you know, you, you just do it and you know, you say, No, no problem. They apologize and say, No, no problem. As if, like, you're just almost like an on autopilot, so to speak. Yeah. You just say, Yeah, you know, thank you for letting it go. Because yeah. it was, it was, um, I mean, when it first uh, happened, you really, your brain, um, uh, struggles to make sense of it and you're forced to live the moment to to, to literally uh, it forces you to just experience that, just that particular moment so you, your level of fear is different than you would mm-hmm. feel if you knew there was a, a situation that's threatening your life and when someone obviously uh, first time someone held a gun uh, uh, to us and, but it, it, it just made me feel like wow yeah, life is so fragile. It's so, um, it could go anytime. 
Amazing. Um, but of course, it's worth stressing that um, when you're uh, your um, various establishments is not just coffee you sell so you have tea and other drinks as well you know we've been talking a lot about the coffee but that's you are coffee link so that's 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 why um do you put the same amount of resource into tea uh not yet no it's one thing that rebecca and i have spoken about and we do get very um an increasing number really of queries about tea but we don't really do tea yet uh, we are considering it, but we really, again, we, we, we just need to do more research. Mm. Uh, but I know there is a market out there for good uh, quality, uh, ethically sourced uh, leaf tea, and, and I think it would be a nice addition. So we have been talking about it. In fact, I mean, it's more than a year that we spoke about it, and I, uh, I am really keen to add it to our website. Yes. But we well, to- there has been quite a lot to deal with in the last year, I guess. And I guess that's probably just where we ought to go now is yeah, how's it been? Um, you, you were referring earlier to having to close some establishments and uh, yeah. I guess it's just takeaway and... Uh, it is, it is. I mean, it has been really difficult. I mean, uh, I mean the level of support has been very good um, and I am uh, really, obviously, grateful for the support you've got. But in nothing that will compensate what we've lost. So we went from a decent income in uh, late March to literally nothing overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as I said, it's important to mention the like the furlough that has helped. Not all our team has been on furlough. So we kept the, I haven't stopped, I haven't had a holiday, I've kept going throughout mm-hmm. really. Um, and so has the team here at the Rotary and we worked really hard to adapt uh, because while the retail aspects of our operation has gone to uh, nothing, you know, comparatively, uh, to um, having a nice busy roastery with online orders. And so it's um, been fairly busy with, with the roastery. And I think uh, everyone has, has worked really hard to, to fulfill our orders and, and with all the anxieties of going to work. And, and I'm sure you're obviously aware of how, how difficult it is. So I am grateful to everyone in the team that have kept going throughout the lockdown yeah that's really impressive um but i think um we're, we're all looking forward to that opportunity of of getting out and visiting places like your coffee bars and yes. meeting with friends because you know having a coffee is a byword for or a, a term for meeting up for talking for chatting for conversation for for engaging with others and that's the bit that we're missing Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, it has, the lockdowns have really made everyone re-evaluate and, and reassess uh, our priorities. And I think everyone has been looking at how we do things. So we will probably appreciate those encounters better. Uh, we will um, appreciate our customers better because obviously we are reliant on our customers coming through the door. But as you said, I think everyone is really looking forward to uh, resuming some kind of uh, normalcy because um it's been a long time <laughs> yeah and i'm looking forward to you starting what we suggested the other day a sort of a coffee tasting session a bit like wine tasting i would love you, to would and love you to. can and you can teach people like me ignorant people like me how you know the difference between one thing and another i think that's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. i'm looking forward to it honestly we'll, we'll set that up won't we will we'll get that organized azuz it's been a real joy to understand something of what you do and yeah it comes out all the time just how much you understand about this business and the passion that you and Rebecca have for serving really good quality 
coffee to people is absolutely amazing. Thank you. And thank you again for really inviting me to talk to you. That's a pleasure. It's been really good. As always, do give us some feedback. Go onto our Facebook page, which is Suffolk Money, and uh, find us there. Leave us some comments, give us some feedback, and uh, do the same on your podcast uh, facility of choice, whichever one you're using. If you can give us some feedback through there as well, we'd love to receive that. Please do uh, recommend us to your friends so that they can get some benefit from the stories that we're bringing. And also, if you've got any news items that you can keep us informed about, then we'd love to hear those as well. So we hope that we'll see you next time on Suffolk Money.